Hello, and welcome to Stride and Saunter, episode 46. I'm Kip Clark, and today with me in the studio, we have another guest, Libby Gardner. Hi, Kip. So, Libby, today you said you wanted to talk about marriage. Why is that? I've often found that other people's views on marriage are different than my own, and I'm here because I've had great conversations with you, and I'm hoping to gain some insights and share some feelings, and we'll see what comes out of it. Okay, so the first question I would ask you, obviously you have not yet had your own marriage, if you ever would, but what have you witnessed in marriages you've seen, either in friends' families or in your own? Sure. I've mostly witnessed positive, good, healthy marriages, which is another reason why I'm confused by my own beliefs that I don't necessarily think that marriage is a great thing in our society. My parents have been very happily married for over 30 years. The vast majority of my friends' parents' marriages are still going strong, very happy. But I I have found that I've never automatically thought that marriage is inevitable for me. I've never been one of those people who thinks that, oh, I'll have my life and eventually I'll get married. But the majority of people that I encounter, I have, I have found do believe that they will eventually get married. But I know that that's just not something I've ever been conditioned to think. Kip, do you think that marriage is inevitable for you? No, I don't. I actually had this conversation with my parents this past summer of 2014 because I was thinking about marriage for some reason. And it is really interesting in a lot of ways. And I asked my mother and father what they thought about me getting married. And my mom continued to worry that I would take her answer as instruction or guidance. And I said, no, I'm just asking for the sake of conversation. I'm curious to know what you think about Eric, my brother, and I getting married at some point. Obviously not to one another, but to <laughs> separate people. And she continued to feel as though she might be imposing. And I said, no, 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 it's, it's not what I'm asking. And my dad finally said, well, you know what, Kip, I, I have some thoughts. I think you have a 60% chance of getting married. <laughs> and I thought that was really funny. And I think a lot of people would jump to that and say, oh, Kip, your dad doesn't think you're marriage material or some kind of extrapolation based on that. I was instead curious and said, okay, dad, that's valid. I know I'm certainly an abnormal individual. Why do you think it's a 60% chance? And he said, well, Kip, I think you really value your friendships and you might see marriage with one specific person as a hindrance on those relationships with other people that you might not get to spend as much time with them or you might in some way be removed from their lives. And I said, that's interesting, actually. I hadn't really ever thought of it that way. And in my mind, I don't know if I will get married, but I hope if I do. In fact, I'm very confident that if I do, I will believe that that one person, in my case being a woman, would be the right fit for me, would be a person that I'd want to spend a lot of time with and wouldn't worry about those with whom I wasn't spending much time. So I don't know that it's in my future necessarily. I will say, and I think the following is a bit problematic, I would really like to be a father at some point. I'd like to raise children. And I think that's a reason many people get married, if I had to guess. Absolutely. Because, because I think a lot of people have that urge or that desire, whether it's biological or otherwise, they want to be a parent. And I think that gets tricky when marriage becomes a means to an end in that you're trying to conceive a child. And obviously in our society, there's a lot of judgment around children born out of wedlock. Frankly, I would capitulate to that pressure that I also wouldn't want to have a child with someone with whom I was not married because I feel like I would be judged, which is unfortunate. And I think there's a lot of societal pressure around marriage in the first place. And then weddings, which we might get to later, in my mind, are a whole mess and disaster. And I was reading a Facebook post of an older friend of mine who is engaged and is going to get married within the year talking about how much of a nightmare it is planning for the wedding. And I've heard that the months leading up to the wedding or the month before are among the most stressful times in a relationship because you're navigating who you're going to invite to the wedding, who you're not going to invite, 
how many people each partner gets to invite to the wedding in the first place, how big it's going to be, how much you're going to pay for this wedding. I've heard exactly the same. A friend of mine is getting married in about a month. And I found that when she talks to her other friends about it, there is stress that she's experiencing. But everyone's experiencing stress in a wedding. A few of us are bridesmaids, and it's been a whole experience, I should say, with planning and buying shoes and dresses and getting things ready. And I can only imagine that that stress is multiplied by a thousand for the actual couple. That makes sense. I would ask as a lead-up question of sorts, when you're talking with her and other friends about the upcoming wedding, is that a group of girls only? Are there guys in this group of friends when they talk about the wedding? It is a group of girls. That's interesting that you should bring that up. And do you think that changes the context of the conversation? Because otherwise my hypotheses are completely invalid. <laughs> but I suspect if there were guys present, or if guys alone as a group were talking about a wedding, I think it would be a very different sort of conversation. And I'd like to hear what you think. Um, I suspect that's right. Although I will say, in this group of five women that I've been talking with, one of whom is the bride. Two of us tend to have more traditionally masculine views on relationships or mm. marriage. Um, that'd be me and another friend. And so I think that there's been a good balance of views when we're talking about it, but our gender is still there. So, mm. Which is interesting, but to bridge back to marriage, yes. another thought that I had, I was driving on the highway last summer when I thought this and thinking about marriage, I've heard a lot of people in my life, they've often been women, talking about their dream weddings, which I think has become a cultural event in one's life that has a lot of significance. But I have never heard anyone talk about their dream marriage. And maybe that's ridiculous of me to presume because a marriage is obviously a longer period of time. It's more abstract. But I do think it says something about either us as people or the pressure that we put on that wedding day and everything it represents. And I think the idea that I've never heard someone describe their dream marriage, at least not that I can recall, says a lot, in my opinion, about the uncertainty of marriage. And I think that's one of the problematic or uncomfortable things for a lot of people who don't want to get married because you feel like you're trapped or you feel like you're bound to this person and you don't know how they're going to change. And I would ask what you think about the prospect of being with someone for the rest of your life in that kind of a relationship. Well, I just don't think it's that realistic, Kip. I found in a lot of my friendships that I've had that certain people come into your life at the right time. And then that relationship can be so meaningful and they can be one of the closest people you have for those years. But life happens and you don't need each other anymore or you need a different kind of person. And I can't understand why that won't be the case with romantic interests. Mm -hmm. That totally makes sense. And I completely agree. I think People absolutely change. One of the most problematic things I think that happens in marriages, at least from a stereotypically heterosexual male perspective, is that someone gets married to a woman, again in my heteronormative example, because she is attractive. Obviously, it can work the other way around. You marry a person because they are attractive, which isn't inherently problematic, except that the thing that you enjoy about that person is going to change. Despite our American belief that people can stay young forever, it's simply not true. And people will become, if not less attractive, more aged over time. That's just how things work. And I think it would be really upsetting to marry someone and then be surprised when 40 years later they look different. Not necessarily worse. I think I'm hesitating to say any of this because we don't talk about it as a society. But that's how the aging process works. You're not meant to be young forever. And I think marriage isn't always forward-looking, that people aren't planning about, like you said, the things that you will need at later stages of your life when you change. For me, I'd love to have a great conversationalist in a marriage. If I were going to get married, someone that I can always talk to, 
that understands me, and I would throw it back to you. Forget marriage. If you had a life partner or multiple life partners, what would be a quality that you think would need to be true for all of them? And obviously, this is just you, but I'm curious. Sure. First, I'm going to head back to something you said. Sounds good. You mentioned that you know when you get married, you might not foresee that person's physical attributes changing over the course of your life with them. And I'd say that the same is true for intellectual or personality traits. Absolutely. And I tend to believe that a person can have a deep connection with a vast array of people in their lifetime. And so why wouldn't they prioritize things like a career or hobbies or their family over staying with one person because at one point in their life, that person has been the most important person to them? Going back to your question about attributes that I would find extremely important in a life partner. I'd say a sense of humor is number one. Sorry to interrupt, but before you continue, I'd like to unpack that. Why do you think a sense of humor is so important in another human being? I think a sense of humor is so important in a life partner because I tend to be a realist. And I think if you can't laugh at the world around you, then it's a really sad world that we're living in. I would also say, though, that I like to be the funnier one of the two. I've found, which is a flaw, but I'm living with well, it. Well, good on you for admitting that. <laughs> Although I think plenty of people who consider themselves funny would also like to feel like they're the funnier one. I think that's a totally valid thing to think. Another attribute that I would value in a life partner would be someone who is just kind. I think a lot of times people get wrapped up in their own existence and they don't think about how their lives affect others. For me to stay with someone over some kind of long period of time, I would need for them to understand how their actions affect those around them. I find it interesting that earlier you talked about the individual prioritizing certain things like hobbies or a career which relate to the individual. One of the facts that we actually found, which I think is towards the top of the list, and to our listeners, we will put this list on the episode description. One of the items says something about how little time partners spend together after all the tasks are done. I think it's something like yeah, four, four minutes. Yeah, four minutes. Four minutes. According to the study that was done on this list that we found, due to jobs, kids, television, the internet, hobbies, and home and family responsibilities, the average married couple spends just four minutes a day alone together. Which to me is really troubling. I think when you find yourself in a relationship with someone else, they should be a priority. And I'm not saying that you weren't saying that earlier. But it is tricky, especially nowadays when we're connected to so many other people, where if you have kids, you have those people to worry about. If you have a career, you have that to worry about. I just think we're so busy. I would hope that a marriage could sort of slow things down at some points of the day. And that's really sad to me. I also think if they're sharing the same bed, maybe they stay up a little bit later than the four minutes and spend some time together talking or being intimate with one another. I just think it's sad, frankly. And I'd be curious to see where that study got its information have you any other traits that you would really prize in a life partner? Kip, you mentioned earlier children being a big factor in a marriage and a big factor in that fact that we just talked about. And one of my favorite comedians, and I think he's a pretty philosophical comedian, Louis C.K., has a pretty funny but truthful bit about when you meet your spouse and you marry them, you think that they're the most important and glorious thing in the world. And then you have a child and you share DNA with that child and you think that they have to be the most glorious, brilliant person in the world. And then you look up at your spouse and you say, who are you? You know, I don't, sh I don't share that same thing with you. And the stereotype would be that a child would bring two people closer together. But at least in that statement that he makes, it seems like it might bring you a little farther apart in terms of the type of love that you share. I agree. And I definitely think type of love is an important phrase to cite because I think much like people, 
love changes that everyone knows what that honeymoon phase is. There are certainly other phases in a relationship. I'm sure there are experts out there who have categorized them. But I suspect that at the point you have a child, things change. You suddenly have a third or potentially fourth person in your family now that you have to consider. Obviously, you're going to look out for that child out of biological instinct, yet you're still romantically attracted to this other individual, hopefully, and there's complicated processes going on. And Kip, you mentioned earlier how you felt that you do want to be a father one day, but you don't necessarily see marriage as a future. Would you ever consider being a single parent, or would you consider having a child with someone who wasn't a romantic interest? See, I'd consider it. I don't think it's out of the question. I guess I would hesitate because I can picture dinner parties or other events where people ask what I do, or if I have a family and I'd say, oh, I have a child, and they'd say, oh, we'd love to meet your wife at some point, to which I say, I'm sorry, I'm actually not married. I can just picture a lot of uncomfortable looks, and maybe that's me projecting, and I don't actually know the society that I would be living in, but I feel like at least where I come from, there's a lot of very conservative views on marriage and how families typically operate. And I think as a result, I'm picturing those people when I'm picturing those that I'd be talking to. And I also think single parenthood, although I have tremendous respect for it, don't get me wrong, I think single parents work very, very hard. There's a lot of stress on both sides of that equation. The child probably needs more time with the parent, and the parent probably wants more time to explore certain things on their own. They've probably got a job supporting the child, but they'd like to maybe explore some of their other hobbies or activities and express themselves in some way and potentially date. It's obviously very difficult to manage a schedule when you have a child to take care of. And so I respect single parents, but frankly, I don't know if I have what it takes to raise a child without a partner of some sort, whether it be a romantic partner or even if a friend and I were living together and they had some time on their hands to help me out every once in a while with my child. I'd work out a system or something, but I think life gets very complicated, and I'm really not sure. I would like to think that I'm a bit more open-minded or brave to try something like that, but frankly, I don't know. And I think Louis C.K.'s point about his inability to leave after having a kid, that you can't as easily just depart a marriage when a child becomes involved, is an interesting one. And I think there's a lot of biological and hormonal processes that come into play regarding child-rearing. And I think, to my understanding, and I'd love to be corrected if I'm wrong, men don't develop the same chemical attachment to a child that I think women often do, because men do not carry the child for nine months. I'm not saying men are not loving fathers, and I'm not saying that all women are loving mothers, but I think for men, there's that biological instinct that a lot of biologists might cite to have as many children as possible, because it's just an urge or a trait that I think has been socialized out of all of us or tried to be socialized. And I think that's the concern for men, the idea that commitment to someone means that you're with them and have to raise that child. And I think it's often a joke about the old ball and chain. Kip, you alluded to biological thoughts that come into childbearing. And I think one really difficult obstacle to overcome in our lives is that the age for the ideal childbearing in society has now become different from our biological ideal for childbearing. Absolutely. You know, our early 20s, even late teens, early 20s are technically the biological best time to have a child, healthiest, safest time. But now we're told that that's too early to have a child and you have to have more of your life together, that being have a home, have maybe a husband or wife. 
And it's even frowned upon if you get pregnant at a young age, young being in societal's term, young. And so it's hard to fight the biological urge that tells you have a child now with the societal notion that it's not the right time. And then perhaps you pass the biological point at which your body is telling you to have a child, but society says, well, now your clock's really ticking. Absolutely. I completely agree. And I think it is a pressure, admittedly less so for men, and I'm aware of that because men can help conceive a child at various points throughout their lives after puberty. Women, of course, have more difficulty and at a certain point cannot conceive children anymore. So I think marriage comes into that because society often says, if you want to have kids, you're going to need to find a partner who you're going to be with and sign this marriage contract. So the idea of a contract is linked with one of your favorite facts, number 27, that a marriage ceremony typically ends with a kiss because in ancient Rome, a kiss was a legal bond that sealed contracts and marriage was seen as a contract, which I think is troubling in a lot of ways because there are roots of marriage in business. Back in the Renaissance, and there are paintings that depict this, marriages were bonds between families. Often, people getting married would actually send a proxy. So you might not meet your wife, you'd meet her proxy at the wedding, which is ridiculous to us now because we marry ideally out of love. But in those days, it was to consolidate wealth, to unite empires, and to combine families so that power could be maintained, at least as far as I know in European nations, but potentially in others. I think that says something about where marriage came from, that it wasn't always this romantic ideal that we have. And one question I would throw to you as a female, do you feel that you've been raised in a society that holds marriage as the highest standard and the ultimate thing that at least women stereotypically have been told to reach for, let's say, in American culture? I do believe that as a child, most children, probably especially girls, are taught to get married. You know, most fairy tales end in marriages, in theater comedies end in marriages, but I think it is changing now. I think now feminism is at the rise and we're being taught almost the opposite, that you should be thinking about your career and your own happiness outside of a man's approval. And I think approval is a really big factor in all of this, that often, in my opinion, children get married because their parents might expect it, because their parents want a certain way of living. And frankly, a lot of parents enforce or instill certain values in their children, which is not uncommon. That's how parenting often works. Of course, part of that is often related to marriage. I know one friend of mine that I spoke to last summer about marriage, whose parents are both Eastern European, said that she as a child got hurt at some point. And her father, in an attempt to cheer her up, talked to her about the wedding she would someday have. I think that says a lot about the pressure on people to get married, and I think there's tremendous pressure. But one thing I found really interesting when I spoke with another friend named Tracy, she said that she'd been talking to a friend of hers recently about topics like this, and she said she'd been discussing this with a friend of hers recently. And she said, Kip, one thing that came to us is the idea that if you really love someone, why not just stay with them? Why do you need to sign that contract? Why do you need to get married to prove that your relationship is strong or to strengthen your relationship? If you really love this other person, wouldn't you have faith that you would simply be together? I don't think you need to be married. And I said, that's a really good point. I like that a lot. I completely agree. I think that signing a contract, especially signing a contract with the state, has no 
actual bearing on whether or not your relationship will be good or bad or continue. And if it doesn't continue, why is that a bad thing? Why are breakups always a bad thing? Sometimes it just means that your chapter with that person is over and that opens up an avenue that you can go down with another person. I agree. And I think the idea that people break up often because of change or get divorced because of change is seen as a bad thing. But people changing in my opinion, is a good thing. Obviously, there's negative change. But in general, if someone's stagnant, that's really problematic, in my opinion, that you're not changing at all. I would say you're almost not living. But life itself is about change. And as a result, relationships often involve change. And I think marriages or relationships that stay together are those that can accommodate change. And that's one thing that I think you need to consider. That's one trait I would put on my list of qualities to look for in another person, the ability to adapt to change, to handle it well, to be good under pressure and not to freak out when someone becomes a different person because that's life. To read a few of the facts from our list, and you're of course free to pick some of your favorites, one of them says, stress associated with divorce affects the body's immune system and its ability to fend off the disease. The health benefits of remarriage are reduced the second and third times around. Another says, in the U.S., over 50% of first marriages end in divorce, 67% of second marriages end in divorce, and nearly 74% of third marriages end in divorce, which I think seems to indicate that after you've made that first break with someone that you'd married, you feel a bit more comfortable doing it the second time. But that's just my conclusion. What do you think? No, absolutely. And I think when people hear the word divorce, it has this terrible negative connotation with it, mm-hmm. when that might be an okay thing. Again, throwing it back to my uh, favorite comedian, Louis C.K. Please do. And I will say, I think comedians are a perfectly valid source when talking about issues like this, because I think comedy allows us to talk about difficult topics with a more open mind. But again, throwing it back to Louis C.K., he says, divorce is never a bad thing. You're never ending a happy marriage with a divorce. That has happened zero times. So divorce always means that you are choosing to to leave a bad or unhealthy situation and open up for yourself opportunities for better situations and healthier and happier lives. I agree. And if anything, a divorce signifies that someone was able to detect an unhealthy relationship or potentially an unhealthy person or a situation that they needed to leave for their sake. And I think if nothing else, it shows that someone has good self-perception of their own safety and their own importance, which I think is good. You and I have been talking about these ideas largely in hypotheticals because neither of us has been married or divorced or had children. And I'm just wondering how your views as they've developed over time on marriage has affected your current state of being, whether that be as a friend or as a boyfriend. That's an interesting question. It reminds me of something you and I were talking about before recording that I'd like to ask you about momentarily. I know some people that begin dating with the expectation of finding a spouse And I think that's a bit problematic. Again, the idea of using something as a means to an end, whether it be marrying to have children or in this case, dating to become married at some point, you're looking too far ahead. And I think in terms of love and in happiness, you have to enjoy what's with you in the present. Otherwise, you're not going to be happy. You're going to always focus on what could happen. You're going to be worrying about the future. I think that's unhealthy. So personally, although I had not dated before my sophomore year of college, I'm not presently looking for a spouse. I don't know if I ever will be, but I do think it's important to find people that you work well with, that make you laugh, that make you feel good, that teach you something about yourself. And I would say that are different from you 
in all the right places. I think there are plenty of people who are looking for their mirror image, and I think that's unhealthy. You need to be challenged. I completely agree. One phrase that you said was that a lot of people are looking too far ahead, and I think that is a, a very key part of this problem because we are not now how we are going to be when we get married. We're going to change, especially in college. College is a time for change. You know, looking back on who I was four years ago and who I am now, it's pretty crazy. But I think that if you only date someone who you envision yourself being able to marry one day, you're really limiting what you're able to enjoy in the present. And I wish that more people would allow themselves to experience whatever present they are experiencing without having a hypothetical future loom on them. My advice would be, in my limited experience in life and on Earth, date people, make mistakes, feel okay with making mistakes, treat others compassionately and with respect. But if a relationship doesn't work out, don't treat it as the end of the world. I think plenty of people have plenty of time to find partners. And frankly, I don't think marriage needs to be that ideal. I would urge people again to think about what's important for them. Obviously, it's very hard to separate cultural or familial expectations of yourself and what you actually want. But I think it's important. And I think it's been an important lesson for me, frankly, when relationships either haven't worked out or have ended before I thought they would, to recognize that it's a learning process. And I think that's true of marriages that don't work out. You can learn things. One interesting trend in a lot of the facts that we read about marriage is how sexuality declines. We won't get explicit here, but sex is an important part of romantic relationships where both partners are, of course, comfortable and consenting, because I think it can be a very beautiful union between two people, in my opinion, regardless of gender or sex, because it's a physical understanding of someone else. And obviously, there's the physical pleasure associated with it, but it's a partnership in the most basic way. And I think that's really incredible. And a lot of what we read says that sex for married couples happens less and less as time goes on. And I think that says something about either attraction wearing off, or as we talked about earlier, physical attraction wearing off. Like you said, neither of us have been married before, but I'd be curious to hear your theories or thoughts on why sexuality declines over time for some married couples. Well, another trend that we saw in our facts was how once a couple gets married, other things creep into their life. Children being a, a big part of that, and it seems like they have less time to spend with each other than they do on these other things. I'd also argue that this goes back to that contract idea, that once you've signed a contract, you feel like, oh, like the other person has to love and accept me now. They have to, no matter what I do. So I feel there's less pressure to try to impress your partner with the way you look or the way you act once you're in a marriage, which has its benefits and its drawbacks. And I think one of the drawbacks would be that you make less time for those sexual encounters with your partner. That makes sense to me. And I also think it's interesting that you talk about impressing another partner because that typically happens early in relationships. When you're first meeting that person, you're still excited. Obviously, the honeymoon phase we referred to earlier comes into play here. And one of the tricky facts that we talked about earlier regarding present and ability to predict the future is that you can't predict whether someone will or will not continue to impress you. If they caught your eye with one particular behavior, and once they've got you and you're married, get lazy, they might stop doing that thing. And then you feel like you've lost a part of a person, when in reality, they only adapt to that behavior to earn your favor. I feel like another trait I would throw on the list of life partner qualities that I would like is personality honesty. Of course, it's not a real thing. I'm making it up on the spot. But the idea that someone is true to themselves, which is, of course, a cliche phrase, but the sense that they know who they are. 
and they don't have any problem being that person because I don't want to learn something about someone decades in that I could have learned earlier. Obviously, it takes time to get to know a person, and I totally understand and respect that. But people who don't simply change drastically but reveal things drastically, I would take a bit of issue with. Because I think change is natural, but hiding certain things from a partner, especially someone you might marry, can get a bit complicated. What do you think? I totally agree. I think one of those unfortunate breakup cliche lines is, you're not the person who I thought you were. I think we wouldn't have that problem if people were more honest in themselves from the get-go. And a final point I would like to discuss about marriage, although I would gladly discuss it in future episodes, and Libby, I would gladly have you back in future episodes. Regarding marriage, I feel as though there's a lot of pressure put on marriages to make people happy, much like relationships, but marriages in particular. And I think that can get troublesome when people expect their happiness to come from another person who also has to worry about their own happiness. And I feel like that can become very cumbersome and that we don't always know how to handle that. What are your thoughts there? I definitely see that point. And I think this might be an example of a time when my parents' happy and healthy marriage really did inform my views on marriage. My parents are two very pragmatic people. When they decided to get married, there was no big proposal They did it on the phone during a discussion about where they would live after college, and each knew that their parents would not accept them living together out of wedlock. They knew that they wanted to live together, and so they got married. Both parents have admitted to me since that that's not necessarily the best reason to get married because you want to live together, but they did approach it from a pragmatic standpoint. They both knew who they were before that relationship and saw the other person as an enrichment in their life rather than their reason for happiness. And I feel very lucky to have had that as an example of love in my life, rather than an example that puts unrealistic expectations of happiness and perhaps unhealthy expectations of other people making you happy rather than yourself on my life. It's very interesting to hear about, and I thank you for sharing. Before we close the episode, are there any questions you have for our audience or things you would urge them to think about after hearing this episode? Yes, I would urge them the next time that they find themselves looking to be in a relationship to question what their motives are for that relationship. And if it helps them to be happy in the present or if they are perhaps putting too much long-term pressure on themselves, but also, you know, just to go into it knowing what you believe. Because I have one view and Kip, you have one view and anybody on the street has another view. And I think as long as you are making choices that you truly believe are responsible and contribute to your happiness, not are responsible for your happiness, but contribute to your own happiness, then I would be in support of any of those decisions. That is a wonderful way of putting it. And I definitely agree with what you're saying. I would urge people to do the same, to question things. Do not get to the point of overanalyzing or being skeptical or suspicious of everything that comes your way, but question why you're doing what you're doing and do it because you want to do it, because it makes you happy. Because you believe in it in the moment. Don't look too far in the future is my personal feeling on the matter. But that is our episode. Libby, thank you very much for coming on. Thank you, Kip. I'd be happy to come back. And to our audience out there, we would love to hear from you. We want this to be a conversation among, not simply a conversation between. If you enjoyed this episode, we would love a review on iTunes or comments on our website. You can tweet at us. We are stride and saunter. You can contact us by email, strideandsaunter at gmail.com. Our Facebook is Stride and Saunter. 
and we encourage you to visit our website, strideandsaunter.com. And as always, we thank you for listening, and from thought to word and voice to ear, this is Kip Clark, signing off.